Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. My name is Tiana Fesh. I'm a mom of three, an educator, a course development consultant, and a lifelong learner. Teaching and learning can take place anytime, anywhere, and in a multitude of ways. The range of knowledge and skills to teach and to learn about are truly limitless. But at the heart of all teaching and learning experiences are the people. The People Teaching People podcast is the place to talk about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of teaching and learning in a world where there is always more to discover. Education plays an important and integral role in all facets of our lives. How we work, do business, live, play, explore, and build relationships. Let's talk teaching and learning together. Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. Joining me on the podcast is Julie Van Rosendahl. Julie is the Calgary-based author of 12 best-selling cookbooks. She has been the food columnist on the Calgary Eye Opener on CBC Radio 1 for 17 years. She writes about food for the Globe and Mail and for the past 20 years has been a freelance food writer and columnist for other publications across Canada. Julie teaches, speaks, and cooks at culinary schools and events across the country and has a very engaged audience on her social media channels and website, Dinner with Julie. I am a huge fan of Julie's. She has been a go-to resource for me whenever the question comes up of what's for dinner. Julie is someone who looks for ways to make a difference for others and then truly takes action. She is passionate about food and making it accessible and enjoyable. In this episode, you'll get some great meal ideas, gain insight into the very real challenge of food insecurity right here in Canada, and see how teaching and learning opportunities are plentiful in the world of food and cooking. Thank you so much for joining me today, Julie. Thanks for having me. So I always love to start off by learning more about my guests and their stories. So I'm curious what led you to become so passionate about food and cooking and also to have so many diverse roles in the world of food. So cook, writer, cookbook author, columnist, teacher, speaker, (laughs) investigative reporter, and I could go on. (laughs) Wow, that makes me sound really busy and depressive. (laughs) Uh, honestly, I just really love to eat. I've always had a great appetite. My mom likes to tell the story of when I was three and I asked when I could cook for myself. And she said, when you can read a recipe for yourself, then you can cook for yourself. So I went off with a stack of cookbooks and learned how to read and came back to her and said, mom, what's a, what's a tebaspa? She's like, a what? <laughs> a tebaspa. She goes, use it in a sentence. Add two tebaspa of sugar tablespoon. Anyway, uh, uh, so it's always been my thing. Always, always been my thing. When I was a kid, I wanted to be the, the, uh, the food editor of Canadian Living Magazine. I wanted to work in the test kitchen. You know, like I just, I've always been interested in how people eat at home. You know, uh, I didn't want to go to culinary school and become a restaurant chef because it's, it, it's a different environment. You know, it's a different thing. It's sort of more theater. It's the hours are terrible. (laughs) I have a lot of respect for restaurant chefs, but that wasn't my, my goal. And there weren't a lot of people who were food writers when I was a kid. It's the landscape has changed a lot over the years. And, and that's partly why I sort of have so many roles is I, you know, there, there aren't many staff food writer positions anymore. And once I started writing cookbooks, you know, I needed to start selling cookbooks. So I started doing TV and I started doing radio and just sort of went off in all these different directions. And as a, a self-employed, you know, freelancer, essentially, I, I, I can't put all my eggs in one basket, so to speak. <laughs> I hear you on that. And I mean, with your love for food, you really have done so many interesting things, one of which our youngest kiddo, uh, he's 11, took part in. So you have been sharing what you know 
in many, so many ways, but also including cooking classes for kids and teens in the Kitchen Club. So what is the Kitchen Club all about? How did it begin? And how do people teach other people how to cook? Oh boy, we all have so much to learn from each other. And that's one thing that I love about food. There's so much to know. It's impossible to know everything about food. You know, there's just, there's always something new, some new technique. It doesn't matter how professional you are. There's always room to to learn more. So the Kitchen Club came about uh, earlier in the pandemic, at the beginning of this year, actually, uh, beginning of 2022. Jeez, how is it? 2022. Uh, and schools closed uh, for an extra week at the end of Christmas holidays here in Alberta, uh, just due to you know, pandemic reasonings. You know, the, there is a, another rise in, in COVID cases and it was so cold. It was like minus 30, minus 20. Uh, kids couldn't go outside to the playground, you know, couldn't go play with their friends. I just felt so badly for parents uh, having to, you know, fill time for for younger kids. I have a 17 year old. He excels at social distancing. He is just fine hanging out in his room. And uh, and so I thought, you know, what's something that I could do to to sort of help distract the kids and and uh, and teach them something at the same time. And so I I put it out there on Twitter and. Instagram as, as one does. If, uh, if anyone wants to hop on zoom, I'll just set it up in my kitchen and I'll cook along. I'll post some recipes. If anyone wants to cook, we'll do it every day, uh, for this first week of January when kids were off school. And the first, uh, I, I, I boosted my zoom account. Um, the first class capped out at a thousand <laughs> kids. It was a little bit chaotic. Wow, that is a lot of kids. Uh, it is a lot of kids. And, you know, of course, I, I made it free. I want it to be accessible. And, uh, you know, things like, you know, things like cooking should not be limited to to kids who can afford it. And kids slogged in from all across Canada. It was so cool. It was so cool. So we did every day that week. And then the Saturday, we did an all day croissant class. Um, and, uh, you know, parents are just amazed that their kids made, you know, laminated dough. They made croissants from from scratch because we tend to have this idea of what constitutes kid food, right? Like pizza and cookies and chicken nuggets. And and if you ask most kids what they like to eat or what they want to learn to make, it's it's amazing what they say, right? I want to learn to make hummus. I want roasted salmon. I want Caesar salad. And and so people often ask me if I'm going to write a kid's cookbook. And I'm like, they're, they're all kids' cookbooks. Like all, all cookbooks are kids' cookbooks. So we just, you know, we did all these sort of basic techniques that, um, you know, it's tricky during a pandemic and you can't just run to the store for an ingredient, right? And everyone, everyone eats differently. People have different, you know, dietary needs and, you know, maybe they're plant-based, maybe they're not, um, maybe they can't have gluten. So I tried to make these recipes that could be adapted for a wide variety of, of tastes and, and needs and didn't require going to the store for anything special. And it was so fun. So we, we continued doing it. We did it every weekend uh, for the whole year up until the summer, we started doing it more sporadically and now we're back at it for fall because the kids just, the kids love it. They, you know, I turn on my zoom and they're jumping up and down on their little screens and the teenagers, honestly, I'm getting goosebumps. Just, just thinking about it. I, I love seeing the teenagers, you know, often they have their cameras off but sometimes they have them on, you know, and they've got their hoodies. I have a teenager, you know, and I, I know they're, they're quiet. They have a different demeanor. I was too, when I was a teenager, but I just love seeing them log on and, and seeing them all baking. And a lot of them are baking with their grandparents or a parent or their siblings or are joining, you know, across the country. You know, a lot of them are waving at their cousins or their friends from another city. And, uh, and it's just been so great. It's been like the highlight of my year for sure. Oh, well, you did an amazing job. We loved the cream puffs. <laughs> cream puffs, right? Shoe pastry. We did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they were delicious. And Yay. it's it is so true. Like Carter, our youngest, loves cooking. So he'll get together with 
two friends in particular, and they'll have a sleepover and they will bake <laughs> or cook. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. They're getting better at the cleaning up part, but uh, yes. Yeah. 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 I'm still <laughs> There's always that. I still have not learned the cleaning up part. My mom always taught me to like clean as you go, but I still don't. I'm the messiest cook ever, but whatever. It's worth it. It's all worth it. And yeah. it's so much fun. Yes. Now, I did a little bit of research. Um, I went to Statistics Canada, actually, because I, I really didn't have any sort of idea uh, on this. So they reported that between April 2021 and April 2022, the price of food rose actually by 9.7%. So I know yep. we're paying a lot more for groceries these days. I feel that, see that every time I go to the grocery store, but I was really shocked to see that number. But along with that, there are 5.8 million Canadians, including 1.4 million children who live in food insecure households. At least that was in 2021. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know this is something that you talk about. So I'd love to know some ways that you've try to address, talk about food insecurity, and what can we be doing to help as well? Oh, boy. That is such a big question. It's in such a big concern with between the, the rising food costs and just the uncertainty of the pandemic. So many people have lost their jobs, you know, are uncertain about their, their jobs. The cost of energy is going up, the cost of transportation. I mean, it's just this domino effect in all directions. And it's it's really concerning, and so there are, there are a lot of ways we can address food insecurity. Um, learning how to cook is a big one. You know, fast food is cheap, but cooking from scratch is cheaper. Knowing what to do with what you have, we also waste fifty percent of the food that we buy. You know, in Canada, and and a lot of that food waste happens. You know, at the farm level and distribution. I mean, there's a, a lot of um, a lot of places that, that food gets gets tossed or um, is in storage for too long and, and ends up in compost. But there is a lot that we could, you know, could prevent at home. And, uh, and knowing what to do with what we have is, is a big thing, right? So uh, I actually turned it into a, a bit of a game with my son. It's sort of a black box challenge, right? Like we have a half a cauliflower and some kidney beans and some cheese and some eggs. Like what can we do with this? And when you you sort of develop that skill, you, for a long time, you know, those of us who who don't live with food insecurity um, often approach dinner time from a standpoint of like, what what do you feel like eating? You know, what do you, oh I saw this recipe on TikTok and source the ingredients instead of looking at at what you have and and thinking what can I do with it. Uh, and so we saw during the pandemic, people eating that way, cooking that way more often, um, but. Honestly, I, I'm happy with a baked potato for dinner. You know, <laughs> I know that there's not protein in baked potato, but it's a great way to sort of stretch leftovers, to stretch small amounts of protein further. Um, it, you know, it, cooking can be very inexpensive. So, so just developing cooking habits is, is one thing, but looking to your community and what the needs in your community are, I think is, is huge. And it's easy to become overwhelmed with all the stuff that's going on in the world especially during the last few years, I know. And it just seems so big and so insurmountable. And not everybody has the means to write a check, you know, to um, to an agency that, that addresses hunger. Um, but everyone has schools in their neighborhood. People have, you know, seniors in their neighborhoods. Um, paying attention to who lives around you? If we all paid more attention to to those who are around us and how we could help, and and we all have different understandings of what is needed out there. I have a, a son who's, you know, he's now 17, but he's gone through school. I have a sister who's a principal, and I know that all schools have uh, some level of, of need in their schools. Obviously, some, uh, some areas are more high needs than others, but during the pandemic, when schools closed, my first thought was all these kids who rely on food supports at school for often their only meal in a day. And there are a lot of um, agencies and organizations that are available to adults, but not a lot that are available to kids. And 
uh, and really their access through schools and, you know, youth clubs, you know, swimming pools, places, libraries, places that, that are safe spaces for kids. Um, but there weren't a lot of food support. So we, we kind of jumped in and there were, you know, at the time, the very beginning of 2020, there was a lot of surplus food um, with all the restaurants closing, with the culinary, culinary schools closing, um, coffee shops, everything. You know, there was a lot of, of extra food being redistributed. And we opened up uh, one of the restaurant kitchens. Of course, all the restaurants were closed. Um, but the kitchens were, you know, their kitchens were sitting there. And, and we started just cranking out lunches and organizing pop-ups. Um, there were 12, 13 pop-ups around the city eventually and just, you know, volunteers. Right. And I think often it's, it, it, people just want to know what they can do. Right. So planting that seed and having an idea and just, even if you don't know how to do it, ask questions, ask around, Hey, there's a community hall. How can we access that? Go to your library. Can we do something here? Can we have a, can we have a cooking class? Dignity is so important. Right. And, and to organize a cooking class in an area perhaps that has a higher need so that anyone can join, you know, um, and learn to cook and, and have a meal. There are just so many ways we can share food. Um, and, and people have so many great ideas and often don't know how to execute them, but just ask around and just do it, just figure it out and, and do it. And, and those little things, little initiatives, collectively make a big difference, you know, and they build community and they build relationships. And it's not just about the food, but it's about the personal connections and, and letting um, people of all ages know that, that they're thought of and that they're cared about. Yeah, no, I think it's, I love how you've given us some great strategies that we can use just on a personal level with our family. So I love the idea of looking at your ingredients versus starting with the recipe and realizing you don't have half of the things. What do you already yeah. have? Yeah. And then also that looking outward and it's, it can sometimes be so easy to get caught in our own bubbles, right? The things that we're doing day to day, but just to do that looking around and paying attention. And then, mm -hmm. as you said, have that idea, ask questions, get curious and, and, and see where it can kind of go. You don't need to have all the steps figured out all at once in the beginning. Exactly. And you never know what connections other people have or what they know. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's easy it's easy to ask someone what they need, if there's something they can do, if there's something they need. Um, it's hard to, to ask for help, but it's easy to ask if someone, you know, if you could be of assistance in any way. No, those are great ideas. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Now, in February, 2021, you posted a tweet, maybe a little bit of a question um, about, how something was up with our butter supply and how it was no longer soft at room temperature and it kind of went viral. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of did. It was, oh, it exploded. And it, but it had been a conversation for a while. It was something that a few people had asked me, uh, a CBC listener asked, had asked quite a while before that. Um, people were just talking about what's up with butter. It's it's firmer at room temperature, and it's something I noticed as uh, you know a, a culinary instructor. I was doing pie classes at the cookbook company, and and noticed that um, the butter was the right temperature or the right texture at room temperature for for making pie. It was sort of you know putty like, malleable. And, and then as a recipe writer, I used to say, you know, butter at room temperature if you needed to cream it, but I noticed that it wasn't, it wasn't soft enough to cream. So I was starting to say, you know, butter softened instead of butter. Anyway, so I, it was something that was on my radar and I've been checking out and I, you know, spoke to my editor at the Globe and Mail and was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to look into this. Like, I think there might be a story. And she's like, great, you know, let me know what you find out. And, uh, and so I sort of dove into it and, and, and tweeted, yeah, the question, like, is it, is everyone noticing this? You know, is it just, is it limited to one area? Is it limited to a brand? But it was so, you know, across the board, everyone was like, I thought our house was just cold. And, you know, we almost got a divorce because we're arguing about <laughs> the temperature of our house. And, uh, and so it, it seemed to be a thing. So I, I dove into it and, um, 
found a connection between the the palmitic acid supplements that are commonly used in the dairy industry and the increase in saturated fat and you know a change in the fatty acid profile which would change the the texture of of butter if you look at at fats uh, the more unsaturated they are the the more liquid at room temperature so canola oil olive oil you know they're very unsaturated they ha- they're liquid at room temperature and then you look at you know butter animal fats um coconut oil that are really saturated they're firmer at room temperature so it it stood to reason that it was a change in the fatty acid profile that change the texture of butter and what would change the fatty acid profile, a change in the feed. And so, so yeah, I wrote a story about it in the Globe and Mail. It really caught on. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon made a joke about it. Whoa. I know, I know. I really, I hoped to make a weekend update on Saturday Night Live, but it did not make weekend update. Um, but yeah, everyone was talking about butter. I think partly everyone was just so tired of the pandemic. It was something new. And, uh, but it was around the world. It was on the BBC. It was in the New York times. Like it's just crazy. It, it definitely did go viral. Yes. And I believe you referred to it as buttergate. I did not coin that. Okay. Phrase. No, okay. <laughs> uh, somebody, somebody on that initial tweet thread, uh, used buttergate. It was inevitable, you know? Um, so it did turn into buttergate. I never used the hashtag because I found it was disrespectful to the industry, you know? And I didn't want to be, I didn't want to sensationalize it. Um, I really spent a lot of time researching. It's a really complex industry, the dairy industry in Canada. And I really wanted to understand the science behind it. You know, I spoke to farmers and, you know, livestock nutritionists and, uh, you know, processors and industry people. And it was just so huge. And I, you know, journalistically, I needed to be fair and really investigate the how and why and, and, um, and not vilify anybody, you know? And, uh, and so I never use the hashtag. Sorry, that was a long answer. (laughs) No, no, that's good. I appreciate that. Now, and you obviously learned a great deal uh, in doing that investigating. And I think sometimes um, we don't always think so much about where our food is coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this definitely gets people thinking a little bit about kind of the processes and the journey it takes to come uh, to our homes. So what learning opportunity do you think this highlights for consumers when it comes to our food? Well, it was definitely an eye-opening experience for for me as well as, you know, for consumers who uh who often, you know, the extent of their knowledge is is marketing, you know? I mean, the food industry whew, spends billions and billions of dollars, trillions probably on 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 marketing. Um and so a lot of what we what we know or what we understand about the food system is uh what we read on packages, you know, the graphics, the the image of the little red barn and the rolling fields. And ignorance, you know, ignorance is bliss. A lot of the time we, you know, we we buy our food, we we are we want to feel good about our food choices, right? And and advertisers know that. And so a lot of marketing is geared towards making us feel good about what we buy and what we eat. So this was an eye opener. It was interesting to see how it, how it traveled, you know, in the media and how the story was simplified. And, you know, it was, it was tough to write in a way that people didn't just glaze over, right? Like they understood the palmitic acid and the supplements and why and how much and how it's changed. And so often I would hear, Oh, have you heard they're putting palm oil in butter? And it's like, no, 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 they're not. They're not. You know, if that was the case, it would have to be on the ingredient list. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it it was interesting uh to learn to learn about this practice. And it was interesting to 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 witness the response from the dairy industry, you know, the dairy farmers of Canada and the Quebec dairy producers, uh right away asked farmers to stop using the supplements. And it was like, oh, wow they, there was a response and it was, you know, they put together a working group to look into the existing research and um, look for gaps and advise. And it didn't really amount to a whole lot, (laughs) but 
they responded, right? Which was nice. Yeah, it is nice. And there is so much learning that comes in all aspects of our life. And I think just having that curiosity to maybe understand things a little bit better or Mm -hmm. to think a little bit more about where things come from. This summer, our family was in Costa Rica and we went to a coffee plantation and my eyes were sure opened and it sure made me even more thoughtful about the coffee that I drink each morning Mm -hmm. and what coffee I decide to purchase and and just kind of being there and, and seeing where it comes from and understanding that a little bit better. Now, I'm not going to lie. For me, one of the most stressful decisions of my day is what to make for dinner. Uh, I can, I find that sometimes very overwhelming and even just the meal preparation itself when we've got like two kids needing to go to hockey and one to swimming and Mm -hmm. we're trying to juggle everything and then not everybody likes the same things as well. So uh, do you have any suggestions about how to make food and cooking more accessible and maybe even a little more enjoyable in some of these types of situations? Oh, yeah. You know, I think for a long time, cooking was sort of lumped in with cleaning, right? Cooking and cleaning, it was like a chore. I don't know who put those two together because they are not in the same category in my mind. But I think, you know, even for people who enjoy cooking, it can be a lot to try and decide like just the decision right of what to make for dinner so a lot of people do meal planning you know or um you know have different solutions when i was growing up i have two sisters and the three of us each had an evening a week where they had to make dinner we had to make dinner we had to choose a menu we would let my mom know you know what to pick up and it was it was great it was uh you know it gave us a little bit of, you know, a chance to make what we wanted, uh, a chance to show off a little bit, you know. And um, so that, you know, I think that's a good idea for anyone with kids. I keep trying to instate that with my my son, but <laughs> it's like, I don't know, when there's only one and I'm cooking all the time anyway, he cooks with me a lot. And, and I think it's a great way to spend time with your kids uh, away from the screen I mean, obviously, there's a lot of cooking resources, recipes, and and YouTube videos that you know you can you can learn from. Often, I suggest that that parents bring kids to the library and look at, the, at cookbooks, right, and pick some cookbooks and choose a recipe to try, and and then you get to practice reading and you know math and following directions and cooking science. Like, there's so many things that to learn, right, from cooking, and it it doesn't it doesn't feel as much like learning as maybe, you know, sitting in the classroom or other, you know, ways of learning. And, uh, and honestly, we can learn so much from just being in the kitchen with other people who are cooking, right? So if they're doing their homework in the kitchen while you're cooking, they just, you know, you pick up a lot. And, uh, you know, I think there's a great opportunity going to other people's houses for dinner, say, um, not just, being there when dinner is finished, but being there for the cooking process. You know, I love to learn from friends who have different, you know, different backgrounds than I do. I will seek out, you know, how to make pierogies or, uh, you know, how to make all kinds of things from people who have grown up making, making these dishes. And so, so yeah, cooking, cooking together and eating together are, so good for our well-being, our mental and physical health, but we also can can just learn little bits as we go. You know, every time we make a meal, there's an opportunity to learn something new. Well, and I think, as you said, kind of looking outside of yourself again, right? Going to the library or asking a friend or being a part of cooking at somebody else's home. Because I think we tend to sometimes get stuck in a rut. Like we've kind of got our list of meals that we make yes. and... Yeah, we're just looking for some other ideas and some new inspiration. And and sometimes those great ideas kind of re-energize us, right? And help us with figuring out what to make for dinner tonight. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And yeah, just the decision making, you know, especially during the pandemic. I think people were just tired of deciding what was for breakfast, what was for lunch, what was for dinner every day. And the dishes, the amount of dishes. I had friends who were like, honestly, I'm just, I'm choosing things based on the number of dishes they require. So 
you know, tacos because I don't, I don't even need, I can just eat the plate, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Less dish options. I love that. Yes, there are, there can be so many dishes, especially with some types of meals for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Now we've got fashion trends and decor trends and then of course, food trends. So what's trending these days in the world of food? Oh boy, there's always something. And there are, you know, the short-term trends like the unicorn frappuccino or the, you know, charcoal ice cream that I think are driven by TikTok and Instagram. And, you know, certainly right now there are the butterboard. Have you seen the butterboards? that have been no. trending. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, a couple of years ago, it was just uh, charcuterie boards, but you know, anything, dessert boards, you know, candy boards, breakfast boards, food on a board that you can nibble from, which is a good idea, right? Uh, especially during a pandemic when you're kind of grazing and, you, you know, missing going to parties. And uh, and so the, the butter board, which is an it's an old idea, but it resurfaced recently and it's essentially soft butter spread on a board and, uh, you know, scattered with, I think the one that was making the rounds was like figs and herbs and edible flowers or something, but you could put anything on a, you know, anything goes with butter, compound butters, you know, ingredients mixed into butter to flavor them sort of same idea, only spread on a board. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's a big thing right now, but we're also seeing, sort of bigger shifts in the way we eat sort of bigger food trends, like the shift towards more plant-based people are paying far more attention to uh, the environmental impact of our food choices, you know? And, uh, and so those are sort of greater shifts that are more long lasting and um, aren't going to go away as fast as a, a unicorn frappuccino or a butterboard. <laughs> so, and with that sort of trend or shift towards that more plant-based um, diet or way of eating, mm-hmm. do you have some ideas of good ways to incorporate uh, more plants into our diets or some neat ideas that you've seen out there? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it is just mindset, sort of getting into the habit of of not thinking of a, an animal protein first and then everything else as sides, you know, um, I think we all could eat more pulses, more, more beans, more chickpeas, more lentils. They're so inexpensive and so good for us. You know, they're high in protein and they're high in fiber. They're good for the land. They're good for farmers. They, uh, fix the nitrogen in the soil. So they're good for crop rotation uh, they are shelf stable, you know, whether they're dried or canned, they are found in cuisines all around the world. You know, they're so versatile. Uh, and in, you know, in Canada, those of us who haven't, you know, grown up eating them tend to be intimidated (laughs) by the idea of soaking, soaking the dried beans. You don't have to soak them. You can just cook them. There's no need to pre-soak them. Uh, especially lentils, lentils cook so quickly and, uh, and so, yeah, you know, especially right now when, when animal proteins are, you know, connected with climate change and environmental impact and they're expensive, but you can get a can of chickpeas for a dollar, you know, and, uh, I love making falafel. I love so many, so many dishes with, with beans. So, you know, I, I, I tend to sneak them into uh, things now. And people always ask, like, are there beans in this? <laughs> I'll bring up like a pie. Are there beans? Are there lentils in this? <laughs> Is one of those people David Gray by chance? <laughs> oh, yes. David Gray for sure. Yes. Because he famously was not a fan of lentils and would talk about it. So a few years ago, maybe 2018, we decided that I would sneak lentils into everything I made. Uh, so David is the host, was the host, recently retired host of the Calgary Eye Opener. 
and I do a column every week. So every week I made something that I snuck lentils into and didn't tell him. And we recorded his responses. And then Paul Karchett, the director at the time, put together uh, all the clips of him saying, you know, oh, this is delicious. Mm, this is uh, fantastic. Oh, I love this. And then we played it back for him on April Fool's Day. So from January until April Fool's Day, every Tuesday I put lentils in to something. It was the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's and he had no idea. No idea. No idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I do know you have a specific cookbook that focuses on cooking with beans. Mm -hmm. um, it happens to be on my cookbook shelf. Nice. Spilling the beans. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. That yeah. was gee, maybe 2012 that book came out. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun one to write. Um, because most, you know, most bean cookbooks out there are sort of older and, and vegetarian. And, you know, you don't, you don't have to be vegetarian or vegan to eat beans. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely one of my go to cookbooks, especially for a night where we're not eating meat. So yeah. yeah. Yay. Now, uh, one of my favorite go-to recipes of yours, and I shared this with you, uh, is the your orzo salad with spinach and feta and lemon. And anytime I've made it and other families or people have had some, they always ask for that recipe. Yay. Uh, and I also love listening to your uh, segments on the CBC Eye Opener because I always get great ideas. It sparks my mind for what to make that night for dinner. So what would be one or two recipe ideas that people could make for dinner tonight if they're feeling fresh out of ideas or kind of stuck in a rut? Oh, gee, it kind of depends on what you have. You know, everyone's pantry is is different. Um, I often make an, an omelet. My son makes great omelets and you can fill it with whatever you have. Uh, I love putting things on toast. I love uh, making curries with any form of tomato, frozen tomato, canned tomatoes, passata, you know, pureed tomatoes, uh, any kind of veggie, any kind of um, pulses, you know, kidney beans, chickpeas, meat, seafood, whatever you eat um, do does well in a curry. I know curry is a very broad, <laughs> a very broad term, but, uh, I often make that and I make non, I, I make a, a fast non bread. It's just like flour and, and baking powder, a little bit of, you know, oil or butter and water cooked in a really hot skillet. Um, poached eggs on toast was my mom's go-to scrambled eggs and brown beans or poached eggs on toast was my mom's go-to when we were kids. And it was like, you know, probably once or twice a week we would have, have that. And, um, yeah. And pastas are easy too, you know, just like really quick, really quick pasta. I often make like, uh, breadcrumb pasta, which is you know, like lots of garlic. Garlic is in season right now. And the garlic is so good. I mean, garlic, people often don't pay attention to it, but when it's good, it's so much better than, you know, in the middle of winter when your, your garlic options are limited. Uh, so garlic breadcrumbs, you know, the heel of your, your bread, whiz it into crumbs and pasta and, you know, some cheese, you can throw in some bits of leftovers. I mean, there's so many ways you can dress pasta. Um, I love doing peanut sauce, peanut sauce and crispy tofu is one of my favorite things right now. And, uh, and tofu is, you know, a really inexpensive, protein. And I recently discovered, I love crispy tofu. Every recipe out there calls for extra firm tofu, which makes sense because it has less moisture and moisture is the enemy of crispiness. But I find it, the texture is a little bit more rubbery. <laughs> and <laughs> I like really creamy inside, crispy outside. So once I started using medium tofu, uh, not too soft because it's hard to to cut into cubes and I pat it dry, roll it around in cornstarch and crisp it up in a skillet. It's so good. It's so delicious. And you can serve it all kinds of ways. Uh, peanut sauce is one of my favorite things to eat just on anything. Peanut sauce on 
noodles or on, you know, spaghetti noodles or uh, on tofu. And I just, you know, when the peanut jar gets low, I add some soy sauce, some rice vinegar or, le or lime juice, some a uh, little bit of honey or brown sugar, garlic, ginger, uh, a bit of heat. If you like things spicy, some, you know, chili flakes or sriracha, shake it up in the, in the jar and it just, it keeps, you know, for ages in the fridge, but I just eat it on everything. So those are my suggestions. <laughs> those are amazing. Those are fantastic suggestions. And now I'm really craving peanut sauce with tofu, but yeah, I've always bought the more firm. So, and have found it to be a little rubbery. So I might, I'm gonna have to try something mm -hmm. a little bit softer. Yes. That's a really good tip. Thank you. Now, I wanted to ask you about maybe to look back a little bit to a favorite teacher or learning experience that you've had and why that person or experience stands out for you. Oh, boy. I had so many great teachers uh, and I love running into them now, you know. Um, yeah, I had a lot of great teachers. And I had one learning experience that really stuck out and it's probably not the greatest learning experience I had, but for me, it just, it stuck in my mind, probably because it involved food and writing and it was in grade, I don't know, four or five. And we had to write uh, instructions on how to make a peanut butter sandwich. And so... <laughs> The times were different. It was a peanut butter sandwich and we made the peanut butter sandwiches. So what our teacher did was we, we'd each have to write, write down how to, not in a recipe form, but just instructions how to make a peanut butter sandwich. And the teacher took each page and she had a loaf of bread and some peanut butter and jam and read the instructions and followed the instructions exactly. And if you ended up with a peanut butter sandwich, you got to eat it. <laughs> It's so crazy that it was actually peanut butter. And I, I can't, I, it's just occurring to me now that like, wow, there was actually peanut butter in the, in school at yeah. the time. And I, I think I was the only one who ended up with a finished peanut butter sandwich because kids would write, like, put the peanut butter on the bread. And so she'd take the jar of peanut butter and put it on the loaf of bread and everyone would laugh. Right. But it was a great lesson in being really thorough with uh, your words and explaining exactly what you mean. And um, so it was like, you know, open the jar, you know, dip in the knife, take out a piece of bread, spread the peanut butter on one side of one piece, of, you know, so it was funny, it really stuck in my mind. And it was it was useful. Do you remember who that teacher was? I think it was Miss Fraser, but I don't know if it, I'm remembering. No, that's that's amazing. I, I personally love a good peanut butter sandwich. And it's what a great way for your teacher in a very engaging way that stuck with you to get everyone thinking about their writing and how they're describing things and maybe some of the assumptions that they were making by not laying out all the steps and in, in information that they needed to. Mm -hmm. That is a very good teacher. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was good. It was a good one. Now you've had lots of unique experiences and lots of success along your journey. So when you look back at your journey so far, what would something be that you are most proud of? Oh, most proud of. Oh, boy. I guess I should probably say my son. <laughs> Very proud of him. Uh, I know that's what you're talking about, though. What am I most proud of? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I, I guess when I, if I've said something that makes people feel more comfortable in the kitchen, that makes it all worthwhile for me. So I had a, a the parent of one of the kids in the the kitchen club sent me a picture of her child's school project and she had to do uh, uh, a presentation on someone she admired and she picked me. <laughs> and so there was, she did a collage with some pictures of me and she wrote, Julie says, uh, there isn't one, sorry, I'm going to try and remember what it is that I say. Uh, there isn't one right way and one wrong way to make something. There's a whole bunch of different ways, you know, and it's not, it, 
they're not right or wrong. Just understanding why you're doing what you're doing and, and doing what you like or doing what works for you is what makes a difference. But, but she wrote, Julie says, there isn't uh, a right way and a wrong way to make things. There's just a whole bunch of different ways, right? And I just, I'm getting all goosebumpy just thinking about it. And uh, it's like, they're listening. Yay. You know, uh, because food, I think cooking skills are important. We have to feed each other for, for our whole lives and, and ourselves. And I just, uh, you know, it's sort of a wasted opportunity if you, if you aren't able to do it yourself and, um, and feed other people, you know, it's such a great way to, to show affection and support. And, you know, it's, uh, it's something that, that we can all do every day. It doesn't have to be every day, but we have opportunities every day. So I guess just, yeah, when I hear things like that, that's what I'm the most proud of. That is just beautiful. And what a beautiful message that she took with her from you, because that in itself makes food and cooking and all that more accessible because you don't have to fit in a box or approach it. You can be you and be who you are and do it your way. I think that is just amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think it's important because we get, especially when, I mean, I I write recipes for a living, but I think often when you see a recipe, it suggests that this is the way to do it. And if you stray from, you know, one teaspoon of thyme or a tablespoon of oil, it's going to not work, right? (laughs) And so there's not one right way. There's not one right way and a whole bunch of wrong ways. I guess that's what it was. Yeah. (laughs) Good job. Well, and I think... That's one of the reasons why I love listening to your segments on the eye opener because it's not so definitive. Like the way that you describe a recipe, you could add this or this, or you might, you know, mix this in, or you might not, or you could serve it with rice or potatoes, or you, it, it's, it's very flexible and, and it makes me think, okay, you know what? I could actually make that tonight. That is doable and not outside of the realm of possibility for me. So I appreciate your, your flexible approach and uh, accessible approach to, to food and cooking oh, very good. much. Oh, good. Now I have a few rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Okay, so what is something that you would love to learn about or something that you would love to learn how to do? Oh, I, I always wish that I was a, a painter. <laughs> I I know if you paint, then technically you're a painter, but I just wish I was better at it. I have some friends who are great painters and my mom is a great painter. I would love to do that. And and my son used to do improv. He sort of stopped during the pandemic, but he did it over at Loose Moose Theater and anytime we go to a show at Loose Moose, I think, oh, I would love to do that. It's so, it looks like so much fun. I don't know if I would be brave enough to. <laughs> you have to really think on your feet, but it, it just looks like so much fun. What is a place that is at the top of your travel bucket list? Oh, I really would like to go back to Belgium. I went when I was 15. My dad immigrated from Belgium when he was a kid. The food is amazing. The beaches are amazing. And, uh, and I would love to go back there. What is a book, podcast, or TV show that you've enjoyed recently? Oh, I really loved watching Only Murders in the Building with Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez. I just finished watching those two, two seasons and uh, it was really, really good. Not heard of that one. Might need to check it out. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. If you could sit down and have a conversation with someone that you'd love to learn from, who would it be and why? Oh, boy. Uh, this is a hard one. Um, I, you know what? Every time I'm asked this, I think of my grandma, which who I learned a lot from, but I didn't learn as much as I could have. Um, she was a really amazing, amazing cook. But yeah, there, I would really, oh, is it cliche to say Nigella Lawson? I really, I really like her. (laughs) I'd love to learn just how she navigates life. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to come up with a way better answer to this question in the middle of the night. You can always send me an email and I can add it in. (laughs) These two and. (laughs) This person is way more, yeah, more. Yeah. Uh, There's so, so many interesting people and so many um, 
stories, I sometimes get panicky that, you know, there's, I'm not going to meet everybody. I'm not going to learn from everybody. And there's just so many people that I'd love to just sit down around the table with and, and learn from, you know? Yeah, there yeah. sure are many interesting people in this world. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, education truly plays such an important and integral role in all facets of our lives, how we work, live, play, explore, and cook, <laughs> and and be a part of the world of food. Do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom that could empower or support people in their own teaching and learning journeys? Oh, boy. I think just being open to new ideas and and really conscious of the bubbles that we tend to create for ourselves, you know, um, I think that often it limits our perspectives and, uh, and really everyone we meet, we have an opportunity to, to learn something from, right? Um, so trying to expand our, our circle of people that we spend time with, doing it in a different way, you know, maybe going for walks together or cooking together instead of just going for coffee or having dinner together, um, doing different things. Uh, you know, even, even having a, a dinner club where you, you know, one family or person or friend group teaches the rest how to make a thing, you know, uh, or, you know, there's just so many fun things that we, that we could do to spend time together, but to also learn, it doesn't have to be a, a structured learning environment. You know, we just, we learn just by living and, and, uh, and everyone knows something that, that they can share, right? It might not feel like, you know, a lot, but there's, there's stuff. We all know stuff we can share. We all really do. Mm -hmm. Julie, thank you so much for sharing your time and your story and your words of wisdom with us today. If our listeners want to learn more about you and all the things that you're up to, where are the best places to find you? Well, my handle is Dinner with Julie uh, on all the social media platforms. So I'm easy to find. Perfect. I'll make sure to share that. Thank you so much for joining me. It was great to connect with you and to learn from you. Thanks for having me. That was so much fun. Thank you for listening to the People Teaching People podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Tiana Fesh and on my website, tianafesh.com. I would love it if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore all things teaching and learning together.